Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. On this Friday, heading into, look, we're in the, we're, you know, basically starting the second half of the month of June. And it's still a busy weekend. We've got. Obviously, the College World Series starting. We've got lots of Major League Baseball going on still, obviously. And we've got golf with the U.S. Open uh, trying its, um, you know, I, I think that yesterday was probably the worst round in U.S. Open history, in my opinion. Now, some people may disagree with that. Like, Dawson probably loved it because he likes Ricky Fowler. But, I mean, uh, I um, in my mind, it was probably the worst day ever at the U.S. Open. Uh, and it's just one round. Things could still change, but when you have in one day all these people shoot, you know, acing holes and shooting 62, I mean, that's just an, that, you know, that is awful. Now, if you want to do that, you know, with the whatever open, that's fine. You know, you expect that. For U.S. Open, awful. I mean, I think the worst, the it got maybe there's a worse because I'm I'm nowhere near a golf historian, but in my memory that was the worst round in the history of the U.S. Open, as far as I know. And so, hopefully, it gets better. And I, you know, there's three more days for it to get better, and we'll see if it does. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, okay. So the coach list. What's the list? Uh, uh, we're doing college football. What do you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I last I mean earlier this week I said Kush and uh, Coach um, and Coach and, McCartney. Uh, um, yeah, I mean I yeah, sp- Washington, right? Washington. You know, oh, and Coach James. Yeah, I, I, I would I would say Coach James would have a better chance. You know, of like you know I, I think he's a little higher. He's uh, one seventy six and seventy eight. And not at a, you know, a feature kind of institution and with a national championship. So, yeah, I think he, he would be a strong consideration. Where would you rank Eddie Robinson? Well, we talked about Eddie Robinson yesterday. I mean, obviously. Look, I see, it, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out to lose, man, to be honest with you. I've been busy at this. Right, no, I understand. I, um. I mean, I don't know. I, I think he's got to be in the top five or six as far. It's just the comparisons are so different because, like we talked about yesterday, he had to do things 
that all these most of these other coaches that we talked about, like they didn't have to do. I mean, he, he, he it's just he he had so much more on his plate than all these other coaches had, and and, and so. Um, but no, I think you gotta, you know, I think you gotta put him, you know, in the top five or six. It just, it's just com- deciding where he goes and comparing him. It's just totally apples to oranges. You know, I, you know, it's easy to say statement, you know, blah blah. You know, but I like talking about some of the the coaches of yesteryear. You know. Um, some coaches uh, before my time, like I'm sure uh, someone named the coach from uh, Texas. Uh, uh, yeah, Daryl Royal. He's 184 and 60. I thought you know he had three national titles. No, he he uh, he he was he was a tremendous coach. One of the things, kind of the theme of yesterday was we we looked at coaches who there were there are quite a few coaches over the years that had short incredible stints like. Did you know that Don Coriel was one twenty seven and twenty four as a high, as a college football coach? Like that, I don't know that a lot of people know that. Like, there's there's some coaches that didn't coach for a long time, but just had incredible short oh, he, he runs. Coached where? I know he coached uh, Sa- San Diego State. Yeah, I was I was thinking that. I yeah. knew that too, but yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know his record was like that. Sid Gilliam yeah. was eighty-one and ninety as a college football coach. That's wow. that's the kind of stuff that I I don't know that I knew it. So I, that's why I like doing this kind of stuff because you learn a little bit more about uh, coaches that you never that you maybe know, you know their names but you don't really know that much about their history. Well, what about um, Jim Harbaugh and Dad? Didn't, didn't he have a lot of wins? Uh, I don't have him on this list. I didn't run it. He did, but I, I don't. I'm gonna look him up. But I bet you he was under 500. Wait, say that again. I would. My expect. I, I'm gonna look him up here. But my expectation is that he would be under 500 as a coach. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would be my expectation. I'm gonna look it up. 116 oh, uh, No, I'm wrong. What, what about uh, our uh, hey? I, I'm. Uh, the coach from Miami, Louisville, Sullenberger. Oh, I mean, I he was, was about a – How would – he, he had a massive program. No, he, he, he was a very effective coach, but when you – when He's I not looked, a Hall of Fame because his winning percentage is under 60. You know that? His winning percentage is not that good, but he did, he did develop a lot of programs. You're correct. Um, like I said, man, I'm saying I took too much time, man. And, uh, I'm trying, to, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with coaches in my head, and um, just you know, oh, Jim Tressel had a uh, thing. If you add his Youngtown State, right? We discussed. We, he yeah. was one of the coaches okay, we discussed yesterday. Yeah, he 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 had, he won 229 games, had four national titles at one double A level, and then you know, one of the great upsets in, in college football history at, at Ohio State. Yeah, so Dennis Erickson, you know, talk like his. Yeah, you know, it, Dennis Erickson is interesting. He he, he um, I don't know that he's totally appreciated because he won. He had successful stints at different programs, and yet he always seemed to like 
you know, I don't know that he surpassed what Jimmy Johnson did at Miami or, you know, so I, I just think he somehow he kind of played second fiddle at his own schools. That's crazy how each of those coaches have a, na- a national title. In yes. Absolutely. Look, all right, thank you. Have a good one. All right, thank you. So I'm sure Dawson is, like I said, ecstatic about the Ricky Fowler uh, day, but overall, if you take Ricky Fowler out, do you agree with me that yesterday was the worst day in the hist- round in the history of the U.S. Open? Um, that's maybe a little hyperbolic, but yes, no. If if someone was gonna put up a record score, I'm glad it was my guy. Well, Ricky, I get but yes, that. Yeah. no. It, I was definitely overall. Di- which again, I said early to you, I said, man, there's a lot more birdies than I. And then I thought, well, I'm looking the first couple holes or, or opportunities, but it should get tougher, and it didn't. Like I mean, a couple of the again. The other thing with Ricky that's incredible, he made two bogeys. So that means he made 10 birdies. Like, there was just, I mean, more than half of the holes he played, he birdied. And that's not supposed to be possible at the USO. All right. So you said it was hyperbole, but, like, did you hear? Has there ever been a round? Yeah, no. I mean, they did break a lot of records. This was the worst round in the history of the US Open. The course is a par 70, so part of the, the, you know, sometimes whether in relation to par it wasn't, but overall numbers it was. So, yeah, that plays into it. No, but I mean, I I made the comment, which I actually heard it on PGA Tour Radio. They mentioned it. It took what a hundred and I forget the number of years, one hundred and twenty-eight years for the first sixty-two to be shot in the U.S. Open, and it took twenty-two minutes for the second one to be shot because that's yeah. how close they were to get. I mean, it's just insane. Hints, but it worst is round yes. In the okay, I mean, of the I, I'm not going to fully argue with that. I would have <laughs> to go back through the archives to really solidify that. But it is supposed to firm up today. We'll see, um, especially. A lot, you know. Well, specifically the two guys who put up the great rounds, Fowler and Shoffley, have to play late afternoon, and it's supposed to be a lot firmer. They're not going. The USGA and the LACC, they're not going to put the pins in as easy a spots they were because, first of all, they're you know they're probably a little bit upset by what happened as well. They like to make it this tough challenge. They're going to put some of the tee boxes, tee boxes further back, especially those par threes. They're going to be probably playing the numbers on the cards. Unlike yesterday, they they tried to play them a little bit more gettable and. It'll be harder, but I still think, yeah, I mean, you're not going to, you know, those guys aren't going to regress all the way back towards par. They're going to stay where they are. At least a few of them will. All right. So I saw a few of them, but the guys, the four or five guys that we identified that I was rooting against, did any of them have bad rounds or did all of them shoot great yesterday? The favorites? Yeah. Uh, Kepka's over par. He wasn't great. So um, he's he was one like over. one over? Yep. Yeah. Um, McElroy shot well. Scheffler played well. Uh, those guys are in the mix. Rom, I think, is like one or two under. I'd have to check again on Rom, but everyone else kind of in the mix. But um, Kepka did struggle. Look, if it being like some, you know, middle of the run, run PGA Tour event score wise, is that's what it takes for one of the favorites to not win? I guess I'll I'll be good with it. But Rom's one under, so he's uh, he's got a ways to go, but he's not out of it by any means. I just um, was. I'm always like I said. I a great a, a great winning score for me is like in the U.S. Open is like even or one under, one over. You're not gonna get one over anymore. But I said even to, between even, even and two to under like one or, like. or two yeah. or three under. Yeah, I, that, that's what a winning score. And, should and be. what I really like, my favorite 
U.S. Open leaderboards, and I mean, I don't know how often it's actually happened, is when one guy is under par at one or two under and everyone else is over par. It's like that guy kind of conquered the course, so to speak, by a little bit, you know, beat the course, so to even, and survived. Everyone else didn't. Yeah. Everyone else lost. That is all tremendous. All right. Astros disappointing loss last night. Didn't score a run until two outs and two strikes in the ninth inning. And Yonder Yonder Diaz has this little. Base it up the middle stroke, which is nice. Um, I'm not as high on Phil Maton in terms of I appreciate what he's done. He's pitched very well this year. But I don't trust Phil Maton as much as other people have trusted him in high leverage situations based on how well he's pitched statistically. Um, and, you know, he was awful last night. Uh, now, he did, you know, sometimes you get these singles that just find a hole, ground balls that find a hole. I think there's some luck involved in that to a certain extent. But um, but when when you got a guy 0-2, you can't be hitting people. I, I, I don't know where I'd put it on the list, but 0-2 hit batters are really high on the li- on my frustration list. The I hate the old two walk more than I hate the old two hit batter. The old two walk just drives me bonkers. If I'm up old two, I should not walk that batter. That's more of a you've made more than one. You did more than one thing that I didn't like when you do that. Now old two hit batsman is is is, is probably next on the list. Very very frustrating. Not getting a runner home from third with less than two outs. That, that, I don't know. That might be the top three. Uh, got a, errors go into that. I don't know. We might have to come up with a list of things that aggravate me the most in baseball. But 0-2 hit batsman's pretty high up on the list. Can't be doing that. Especially in a, in a pressure situation. All right. Uh, Jay brought up the coaching thing. We got some more work. Uh, to do on that are some more coaches to focus on. We certainly will do that. But when we come back, I said I would do my little um, fan, old school fan rotisserie baseball analysis, statistical analysis for the College World Series teams. We kind of guessed yesterday. Most of what we guessed was pretty right. There was one team that did quite a bit lower than I thought they were going to do. And uh, we'll, I'll give you the results of that when we come back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. All right, so I said yesterday, and I've done this for years. I don't remember the last time I did it, maybe two years ago, three years ago. I don't believe we did it last year. I don't know, but I don't know that for a fact, but I don't believe we did it last year. 
what I do is the, the old way of doing fantasy baseball, what I call rotisserie baseball, is you have four or five. Started out with four, and then it, it, it expanded to five before we went to the new microwave generation format, um, as I call it. But where you, you pick five categories, hitting categories, five pitching or defensive categories. I don't think I've – I've kind of tweaked it a little bit, the actual categories, to try to get it more where you where you get a reflection of everything that a team does well. So – or, or that, that goes into, uh, you know, a team that a team – attributes a team can have. So the five offensive categories were average, run scored, home runs – on-base percentage, and stolen base. The five pitching categories I did totally, not totally, but several of them very different because these are the things that I look at. Like if the Cajuns are playing a team, these are the categories that I look at to see, to get a really good indication of what that team is like, what their strengths are and their weaknesses are. How are they in these categories? One of them is ERA. One of them is strikeouts. One of them is opposing opponent's batting average. One of them is how many earned runs have you given up? I mean, I'm sorry, how many unearned runs have you given up? And the other category I had, which we certainly never did before, but was, I think, pretty telling in today's baseball, uh, and we talk about it all the time during this, this season, is freebies. And what that is, is I added hits, I mean walks, hit batsmen, and wild pitches. All right, so those are the categories. Um, I don't think it should be a surprise to anyone who the number one team was by a pretty substantial mar- a margin Wake Forest was number one with 63 total points. Wake Forest had 27 and a half points on offense and 35 and a half, which is a lot on, on defense. All right, so guess who 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 do you think finished last? Who, who do you think finished last in this? TCU. Close. They were seven. Okay. Stunford, like Stunford, had some wow. really bad numbers. I knew that. I know their pitching numbers weren't great because I've been I've been looking at that throughout, and they got a couple of guys. But yeah, Stanford's a team that's, and again, sometimes numbers can be like that because maybe you win a lot of games fifteen to one, but you lose a lot of close games, so your numbers would be better. Stanford, they must. I would guess they've won a ton of close games, which I haven't checked on that because yeah, their numbers are not indi- indicative of a dominant team, but their record is really really good. They've given up the highest opponent's batting average. But the the statistic that really they're really awful at is the freebies. They've given up a total in those three categories of 441. Virginia's 253. Um, Tennessee was 241. You're talking about they gave up 200 more free bases than Tennessee. Think about that. 200 more than Tennessee. That is just remarkable. So 
uh, Stunford had some really bad numbers. And they just I don't I don't I don't know um we'll we'll see how it plays out statistically. But they, but but they but they had some bad ones. So, Wake Forest was one. LSU was two at 56, 7 points shy but pretty good, and Dawson was correct about Oral Roberts. They were third at, with, with with 51 Virginia just essentially a tie for third, but they had 50 and a half points. Tennessee was fifth. Florida was sixth. The one that surprised me the most was Florida. Their overall statistics didn't match up in a lot of these categories. Yeah, and I would – so my out of my top three, I had Wake in the right order and Oral in the right – Oral Roberts in the right order, but I didn't have Florida. I, had, I would have had LSU – Florida where LSU was and LSU where Florida was. I'd have thought that LSU's pitching numbers would have knocked them down to that like five six spot, but I guess the they offense is so bad. overwhelming. I mean, their ERA was not good, uh, and their freebies weren't that good. But but okay. they don't give up that many. They haven't given up that many unearned runs. Uh, their opponent's batting average was good, like, uh, and their strikeouts were good. So they weren't like first or second, but they were like third and fourth in quite in, in three of the pitching categories. So their pitching numbers overall. Like Koki had kind of, and uh, we had kind of mentioned a few times, they're really bad at times, and I understand why we all discussed it so long, but some of their pitching numbers aren't all really that bad. And then I guess also, and I, I probably should have thought about this more, but when you factor in that Skeens is throwing a third or a fourth of their innings, yes. that changes it tremendously. Makes it, it makes it, yes. It helps in a lot of different categories. And then the only thing that, you know, I think it's important to include stolen bases because some teams, like the Cajuns, it's really a weapon. But, like, for LSU, they're last in stolen bases, and they don't really care that they're last in stolen bases. So that's something that um, – now, to be fair, Wake, who was ahead of them, they're not real good at stolen bases. They don't care about stolen bases either. Uh, they, they they were third to to the worst. So um, the only the only team that really steals bases is TCU. Uh, Oral Roberts had ninety eight stolen bases. They were second. TCU stole one hundred and thirty nine bases. That's like you know like in the Cajun kind of category where they're really trying to really really trying to run. Um, TCU stole bases, but most of these other teams really did. And you have a ninety eight. Uh, Virginia's third with 81, which is a good, healthy number, but not like really, really trying to steal bases. And and most all the other numbers are pretty fairly low. The, the most of these teams don't really try to run that much. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear overall here that since Wake and LSU were one and two, but they're on the same side of the bracket, that we now know that Oral Roberts will be competing in the championship series. That's big news, and I'm glad that we found wouldn't, that out. Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be interesting? And it also kind of speaks to the strength of one side of the bracket, which, you know, I think we've discussed feels like the, you know, the LSU wake sides maybe a little bit more top heavy and the other sides more balanced. But then again, I don't know, because some people are kind of discounting Oral Roberts and TCU as as being more balanced. So um, maybe that will suggest that whoever comes out of that side, LSU, Wake, Stanford or Tennessee. Well Virginia and Oral Roberts are third and fourth and their numbers are about the same. Right. 
but no, I, I think on again on when you say on paper, Wake and LSU are the best teams. Yes, on paper. And I would think I for me I test wise that matchups mat, matches up I should say like that. Wake and LSU through postseason play. Who's playing well right now? I still have some. I know Florida is is good. I just have some doubts about their ability to be consistent, both on the mound and in some big time. Like they that game, and and I guess I'm maybe putting too much weight into a loss that happened in the regional to Texas Tech early on in that regional. But um, that still gives me some hesitation about Florida being that next level. But again, someone's coming out of that side and has just as good a chance. That's the funny thing about it. It's not about now. The other thing too, which I guess we can maybe talk about in a different segment today, but softball does the whole switching of the brackets thing, where teams go up and down based on the losers bracket. You know what I'm talking about in the World yeah. Series? I don't like that, um, but it is an interesting way to avoid more talks about one side of the bracket being more stacked than the other. I guess Tennessee had by far the worst offensive numbers. So how telling do you is that like? Or they they, they are like they only had thirteen offensive points. That was the sec the only total on either side that was worse was Stunford's pitching numbers were just horrible. Like they had the worst numbers of anything. But the second worst was Tennessee's offensive numbers with only thirteen total. Yeah, and we spoke with Ryan Schumpert, uh, who covers them and in the first show, and and he said kind of the same thing. Now he did mention if the offense gets going, it can roll. But when they struggle, there can be some really long stretches that aren't great. So if they, and again, it's uh, it's not a recipe to get your offense right when you got to face Paul Skeens in the first game. So it, it could be trouble for them. But if they get hot, then they become really dangerous because of how much pitching depth they have. Yes. So um, again, on paper, I me mean, see at least you know Stunford's offensive numbers were okay. They weren't like tremendous, but they were okay, and their pitching numbers are terrible. So on paper, Stumford's the worst. TCU's, I just don't see a lot of strengths here other than stolen bases. Like if they didn't have that first place in stolen bases, they would easily be last. So if if you if you don't think sto- stolen bases are significant, then really, if you take stolen bases out of the equation, TCU's actually the worst team on paper. Uh, again, we're talking about statistics here. We understand that the game is not played on paper. We understand that you could have a game where you get four bloop singles and two CNI singles and score six runs in an inning without hitting the ball hard. I mean, we've all seen that kind of stuff. So anything can happen. But on paper, um, unless you really value stolen bases, I really think TCU overall is probably the worst team and in, in, in Stunford, they're like significantly worse. Now, it's not every year, in fact, it hardly ever happens, where you have a number four seed from a really pretty small conference in, in this field. So to Dawson's point yesterday, evaluating Oral Roberts' stats is a little bit trickier perhaps than it normally is when we do this. Um, cause even if you, if like Southern Miss made it, I mean, they play pretty close to the set. Like they play a lot of really good teams in the non-conference and, 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 and it, and it's not, 
really as much apples to oranges. But with Oral Roberts, it's a little more apples to oranges. And um, so we'll see how, how, how they stand up. It's going to be easy to pull for Oral Roberts and just hope that they at least compete well. But their numbers are pretty consistent, like we um, thought. And so were Virginia's. So I um, – Just to further your point real quick about Southern Miss comparing to Oral Roberts, even though it's not necessarily fully relevant, the Sun Belt's the fifth-ranked conference out of 31 conferences. The Summit League is 28th out of 31. Right, so that's like, what I'm saying. That's it's, the like. That's why it's even more impressive, I think, that Oral Roberts made the run because they didn't get tested all that much throughout the season, and then they showed up against really good opponents and then just acted like they were better than them. So that was – But again, some of that is conference play is conference play. Yes. No, I agree with you. People don't get that. They just don't get it. And like Jim Moore said, and they never will. <laughs> we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Man, was yes, yesterday had to be one of Dawson's best sports days in a long time. His man, Ricky Fowler, shot 62, and his little MVPs beat the Rangers – with Shohei being the winning pitcher, and he hit a home run. I mean, like one of the great days in the history of Dawson's life as a, as a sports fan yesterday. I guess I appreciate the little MVPs beating the Rangers because it kept the Astros three and a half out after Javier pitches well after getting lit in Cleveland the last weekend. And, and, and we're going to the ninth, and neither team has a run. Uh, Presley has been struggling. You know, the Astro fans have been kind of figuring out how the other half lives with bad bullpen play after having such good bullpen play for so long. Uh, and it, it's been it's it's going through a rough stretch right now, except for Hector Neris. Man, that gap. You want to talk about a cool customer? It's this cat. Hector Neris. I, I I can't even believe what the Astros have gotten out of him. You know, I had him once, I don't know, three or four years ago in fantasy. He was a, he closed quite a few games for the for the Phillies, but he was always more on the hit and miss side. Like he was never like a really good polished closer. And he's not been a closer. I mean, he saved some games, but he's not been the closer for the Astros. But as a setup guy, he's just been fabulous since day one. Uh, incredible. And he seems to be you know, a great locker room guy and all, all that kind of stuff. All right, again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. We'll talk more, certainly, if you want to call. We, we discuss 
did a statistical analysis of the uh, World Series field, and we'll see how that plays out um, on the on the actual field itself as the week goes on. But we also finishing up. We talked about quite a few coaches yesterday. One coach that I want to mention that we have not talked about yet, and I think he's kind of one of the things that's interesting when you evaluate all this um, is trying to evaluate coaches who have great success in short period of time. One of those is Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's won 81 games, 81 and 15 with two national titles. Like, where do you put him? Does he have to win another one? Dabo Sweeney, 161 and 39 with two national titles. Now, he had a little bit of a down year. He's going through by his fast start, like a little bit of. So if he comes out of this and has another great year in the next two or three years, I think you got to start considering him. In that category. Another one along those lines is John McKay. My thoughts on John McKay were have changed, you know, a lot from the time when I was like, I've told this, I've said this many times. There are certain schools that I, I consider Gestapo schools. USC was one of them. Never pulled for USC, especially in that era. You know, USC, Michigan, Oklahoma, Alabama. Those are the Gestapo schools, I call them. Don't ever pull for those unless somehow it 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 helps me. Uh, so I, I did not like those John McKay teams of the of the 70s. But John McKay, before he went to the Yucks and became – Really, one of the funniest press conference head coaches in NFL history. If you've never, if you're not familiar with John McKay, go Google John McKay press conferences during the time when he was the head coach of the Buccaneers. Hilarious. I mean, hilarious. He was great. But John McKay at USC was 127 and 40, won four national championships. There are very few coaches who won four, more than four national championships. Very few, ever. And, again, he only has 127 wins because he didn't coach. He went to the NFL and, you know, in the height of his run as a coach at USC. But, um, again, he, he, he's, got a, he's got four national championships. So very interesting guy to fit into this. And, you know, Bud Wilkinson is very similar. A couple decades before that, in the 50s at Oklahoma, only won 145 games, but he won three national titles, only lost 29. So it's kind of hard to judge the guys who were there for a long, long time, like the Paternals of the world, with guys like McKay and Dabo and Kirby Smart, who haven't really, at to this point, coached that long, but they've had incredible success while doing it. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. You know, while I was listening to you talk about all these coaches, one thing came to my mind. How many, what university has had the most coaches that coach in the NFL? They got to be USC. We're looking at Robinson, McKay, uh, 
the one, the one, uh, the one that's not uh, now the gum chewer. I mean, how many? How many are there more? That's a good question. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at their all-time coaches, but seem like that it seemed like it's got to be more. Um, seemed like they had one. Let me let me think. No, I've, I've, you're right. There's a lot. I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna I'm look it up. How many college universities do they have that many? I mean, I mean, you, you got, I mean, it's hard to like think all well, way back. I mean, but the NFL ain't been around that long, you know, compared to college football. So, right. man, I mean, USC, why, well, how do you think is that? Because it's such an, like, a, a big market, a glamour market. These coaches are, are uh, get attraction a from the NFL. I mean, it's hard to say. Let's see. Um, Sarkeesian, no. Paul Hackett um, wasn't a head coach, but Jeff Fisher. Yeah, okay, that's another. That's four. We're up to four right now. Now, they weren't head coaches, but they were on staffs there. Okay, all right, all right. I don't remember Jeff Fisher being a head coach over there. Ah, Rick Neuheisel. Mixing the NFL, I guess, because maybe they were close to think the uh, NFL team because they cheated so much. It was was almost like a business from the (laughs) get-go at USC, more than uh, than, uh, a college business. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can't really explain it, but you're right. It's a lot. Kevin, you were talking about relievers. That's why I was calling. Man, Kat, you know how, why? I, I think in the, the new realm of, of the baseball world, you're starting to see more of these closers go more than this one inning. Or if uh, it's in the eighth inning, they're trying to preserve the lead, and the, uh, the, uh, the opponent has the best part of the lineup in the eighth, these man, some of these managers will throw their closer in the eighth. You're starting to notice that trend, aren't you? I'm seeing it more, yes, and I think it's good. The only time it's not good if – if it if the guys on my fantasy team and I and I I prefer to have a save, but in terms of just pure baseball strategy, I've argued that for years. I think it's sound, very sound. You know that uh, that that reliever from uh, Minnesota, Kevin, is he the guy that throws the hardest? I oh mean, yeah, oh, I don't like facing him. Yes, that whole hand Durant. Yes, I mean, anybody throws that hard in the major league? Nah, not him? as consistently as him, no. Well, that new guy for your team throws really hard, but he, he hasn't done it long enough yet to know. But that new, the rookie, he throws really hard. Which one are you talking about? Miller. Okay, he does. Yeah, I didn't know he throws that hard. He oh, throws he throws about, hard. What, oh, no, he throws hard. Hey, but what, he hasn't pitched enough to. Are we going to live to see 110, Kevin? <laughs> well, you know, I remember when – you know, when I was a kid, once Nolan Ryan once threw 103 miles an hour, and that was like the one guy. I mean, no one threw 100 miles an hour back then except for him. And uh, and, and and now, you know, you're getting it all over the place. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. Y'all have a good weekend. Take care. It's um. now, again, you can hit – major league guys can hit 100 if they – know it's coming or they are they guess right but more than they could back then but still it's 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 amazing how many are doing it all right we'll take a time out and be back this is footnotes on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros you know the routine eat drink sleep and sports all day every day 
You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foot on The Game. All right. Uh, before I, we, we, There's a coach that ran across and a friend of mine tweaked me his name and I saw it. And when I looked him up, I, I, I'm having trouble understanding this. See if we can figure this one out. Red Blake coached at Army, won three national championships, had a record of 166 and 48, won three titles at Army. But the three titles were like 44, 45, 46. That's like World War II. Like, how did Army have a good football team right at the very end and right immediately after World War II? Those two things don't seem to make sense. Well, no, that's that's the whole reason, right? It was because of everyone who enlisted when they came back. They they were in school and they played, and and that's why Army Army and Navy were so good in that immediate time frame. Is that not what? I'm pretty sure that's why they were so good. Is because everyone that came back who had been in, who had been in World War II, or and had been in the wars came back and then played, right? So they all just went to Army and Navy? Well, they were already, I don't know. That's Yeah, that's that's what I thought. That's what I thought I'd heard. My dad's told me those stories. He'd probably be correcting all the mistakes I'm making and explaining them, but that's what he explained. But I'm saying, so, so you think they were that talented going in and so even more went? like? No, I was just saying there was that many people in the Army and Navy of that age that were... I guess. I don't know. But, I mean, this, that don't mean – just because you have numbers don't mean they're good enough to win the national championship. I don't know. I just seem bizarre to me. But, but no, that's another example of an, a long-ago coach that, you know, we never talk about. Most of us never even heard of this guy. But won, won a fair amount of games and, and three national titles. Because, like, I don't know. I, I'm just a little bit surprised by that. But that that's another name to kind of um, consider to, and, and, and be educated about. Of course, it's so hard to compare errors like we always say. And, you know, some there, there were some coaches that, you know, so, some of these famous old names like Amos Alonzo Stagg. What, it's a great name. You know Walter Camp, all all these real fame. Pop Warner, you know Pop Warner, won three titles. But uh, you know it's hard to even know um, to compare them. It, it's impossible. What 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 coaches go to now? It's you know even more probably um, than what we were talking about the apples and oranges of a. Um, of an Eddie Robinson. So, but I guess that's it, that they just had that, their numbers were so high and enough of them were great. And But it just seemed like they, they wouldn't have been, football would have just been so secondary in that era. I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense for me, but obviously it happened. So what you're saying um, is, is the reason why. So I just thought that was a little bit bizarre. But no, I, t- I got to tell you, I, when you start trying to compare a Daryl Royal like Jay brought up with 
you know, some of these other real good coaches like Spurrier and Stoops and that have won a lot of games and won multiple national championships. It, it's it's really like because they you know they have you know their records aren't that different in terms of how many wins they have and and if one has two national championships the other one has three and their records are about the same I mean I you know it's very difficult um, to to compare these coaches and, and ranking them and and again I I just. I'm more impressed with a coach that can do it at more than one spot and not going to a ready-made powerhouse already and, and building a program up into a powerhouse. That just impresses me more. All right, that's it for one hour, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the EPCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EPCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multi-family construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Talked a little bit about Major League Baseball. We talked quite a bit about the college world series did a statistical analysis and uh, if you um weren't listening uh the way it broke down is statistically on paper doing a combination of five offensive statistics categories and five pitching and then totaling them all up if you get if you finish first you get eight points if you finish last in that category you get one and so forth Wake Forest is first at 63, LSU at 56, or Roberts 51, Virginia 50 and a half, Tennessee 46 because of pitching. They had the worst offense statistically by four, Tennessee, and that's LSU's first opponent. Florida was the most surprising. They finished sixth, TCU seventh, and Stunford eighth. And those were quite a bit behind everybody else. I it, it was uh, I didn't know you never know how that stuff's going to work out. You have perceptions, and so certainly um, we um, you know if you want to talk about that, certainly feel free to do so. I did I did it again. I I keep doing this to myself, and I we'll talk about it in a little bit. I did something else that I knew I shouldn't have done. I did it anyway. It's not healthy for me, and I keep doing it, and I need to stop, and we'll get to, to that shortly. For now, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. You know who's an underrated coach? I don't know if you, um, well, in my opinion, I don't know if you uh, or if anyone mentioned him, if you mentioned him or not, uh, Philip Formore. What you think about him as an coach? Well, I do. I do think he's underrated. As someone else suggested, Dan. I mean, um, suggested Barry Alvarez, and I and I look at those in similar type. Although yeah, I think yeah. Philip Fulmer was better than Barry Alvarez. Alvarez won 120 games. Uh, Philip Fulmer was 152 and 52. 
and and did win a national title. So I I think he I think he is underrated. I don't think we have this idea that he's just football genius. But when you look at what Tennessee's done since he left, it kind of shows that maybe he was you know underappreciated while he was there. Now, what the coach at Utah? Did he get some uh, some love? No, uh, no, we haven't. Now, he's on the current list for sure. I just don't know that he's got enough career wins. I'll have to look up his record. But, he, yeah, he I don't have him. Or, we hadn't discussed him, no. Um, Mac Brown? I'm looking at him as one of the great. I do like, you know, Mac Brown has 250 wins. Oh, well, yeah, he has a, I guess he has a, somewhere. Because uh, he, he has some programs, you know, national, well, he has what, one national time? Yes. Mac Brown, let me see. I might, I might even be wrong on that. Let's see. Mac Brown yeah. is, I think, higher. Look. Kind of like what we said about Bill Snyder. If he hadn't come back, he's come well, back did, and been hear. successful, Mike Brown. Like, when you come back and, and then you go to a new program uh, and, and you still have success, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, hey, but look, <clears throat> one of the greatest teams I saw growing up, man. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell this team, you know, just the whole – I brought up this team a while back. I mentioned them. Uh, the 1994 Penn State uh, football team, Kerry Collins, Keyshawn Carter, they had Kyle Brady, yes, uh, uh, receiver. Like that, they, they had a, a nice offense, man. Undefeated. What about Joe Paterno, man? I know situation and everything, but well, I mean, the man has over 400 wins, and he's one of the. Obviously, everything that happened behind the scenes in that program, a lot of people lost a ton of respect for him. But that's an off-the-field issue. In terms of on-the-field, just judging football, I mean, he'd probably have to be top five. You know, he, he you would have to. Yeah, his impact right? yeah. on the game, you know, like all around. No, I, 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 I agree. Like I agree. Like you said, and it's just it's hard. It's hard with the situation. But, uh, about, now, said, oh, now, man, now, Jay, it, it, I don't know if it's this segment or the next one. I'm going to give you what I think is the most the, the the most successful little known head coach in college football history that most of us oh. don't know anything about, and he was the most successful of a coach that probably most of us have never heard of. All right, I'll do that. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Footsie. Yes, sir. Footsie. Footsie, first of all, let me just say, like, if Manny hears some birds chirping and stuff, I'm getting in touch with nature. Okay. Like, I just want to, you oh. know, because I know, I don't know, it was about a month ago or so I called, and he could hear some birds chirping and stuff. Yeah. He was wondering, you know, but, yeah, no, ever since I did, like, that isolation, um, whatever that thing was, like Aaron Rodgers did, you know, where I went in the closet and right. just sat there in the dark. Well, now, now I'm thinking getting in touch with nature. You know, I trying different things. Let's see. I mean, as you get older, you got to try different things. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Let's see. I want to vote for uh, Coach Robinson. I, I, I think I think you're right. I, I think somebody like Eddie Eddie Robinson. I mean, you know, had to uh, line the field, and and especially when he coached. I mean, yeah. we talking about in the '40s and the '50s and the '60s. I mean, man, you got to give that man a lot of credit. And he had a lot of wins. 
You know who else did did a lot, and he was just inducted into the Black Football College Hall of Fame was um, Pete Richardson at Nick, uh, at Southern University. I mean, he really did a good job at that Southern University. I don't know if you remember Coach Richardson yes, or not. Yes, definitely. But, yeah, you know he he did a good job. And footsie before the College World Series starts, I want to say, in my opinion, Game Three is going to be the most important game for LSU. Now, look, if LSU loses game one or two, then things are really dicey at that point. I don't think they have enough pitching to get out, you know, to come through the loser's bracket. But if you win the first two and then you play on Thursday in game three, are you going to pitch Paul Skeens? Because the uh, championship series starts on Saturday. What you uh, What you going to do in game three? So, to me... Game three is the game where, you know, where you got to make a lot of decisions. And if you've lost one and you won one, then huh, what you going to do there, too? So, to me, that's, that's, that's a huge, you know, that it just how he handles the pitch. I mean, obviously, for LSU to win it, they need to stay in the winner's bracket. But game three, to me, even if they win both of the first two, who do you pitch on Thursday? That becomes a huge, you know, um, question in my mind. Absolutely. So, no, obviously they need to – it's it's important, and we made that point early this week, it's important for everybody to win, but it's really important for LSU to win that first game. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's critically important. Yeah. And let me tell you something. If Tennessee goes with Dolander – I mean, that cat got a little moxie to him. I, I personally don't like the University of Tennessee. I, I mean, not, not, don't let me say that. I don't like their baseball program. Right. I think they act the fool way entirely too much. I think they're a reflection of their coach. And, but I'm just saying, they, even though they act stupid, they got a little moxie to them. Oh, no question. So, you know, and put your, now that I've given you a little example, are you ready to bet on baseball? No, <laughs> no, I'm left. no. No. But do you realize that betting on baseball is actually the best sport to bet on because they play 162 games and they play almost every day and you can get a feel for how teams are going. So you can look for, you know, you you can try to look for good lines, but it, it, it actually it is the best sport to bet on because like I said, you get a feel for how teams are playing. So if they, if they're not doing good, you can bet against them, and if they are doing good, you can bet on them. So, but anyway, Footsie, I just wanted to call and make that point that I'm going to go with Game Three as the most important game, and we will see what happens. But like I said, so for Manny, I just want to let him know, Mister Business, getting in touch with nature. All right, all right, Footsie. Bitter is just you know. I always confuse bitter with Henry David Thoreau. I always did do that. You know, those two it's interchangeable. That's what they are, interchangeable. <laughs> That's funny. Um, no, uh, it's you know obviously every game is critically important, but like the point that we brought up this week when you have the deepest arguably the deepest pitching road to, uh, staff that Tennessee has well then you you it seems like you're more equipped of course you got to score runs too 
You know, you you, you got to be able to to score enough runs. Sometimes, you know, defense plays into it, which is why I I I included how many how many free bases do you give up? You know, how many unearned runs? In other words, how good are you defensively? How many unearned runs have you given up? Or Roberts gave up the has given up the fewest amount of unearned runs. Well, you say, well, they don't play anybody. Well, I don't, I don't know that that it matters as much. Obviously, they do a good job defensively. Or Roberts has only given up eighteen unearned runs all season. So they pitch pretty well. Now that you might say, well, that has to do with the level of competition. That's fair. But how many unearned runs you give up, especially since you consider that Oral Roberts has struck out the second fewest, the only team, the only team in the field that has fewer strikeouts for their pitching staff is TCU. So Oral Roberts does not strike out a lot of batters. And yet the the other team puts up puts the ball in play a lot against them and yet they've only given up 18 unearned runs so they're doing something well it looks like they play defense looks like they pitch pretty well they um they're not like a home run hitting team because they, they they've got they only have 95 homers which is not an awful total but com- you know it's the third worst in the field but they score runs. They run a little bit. They just look like a really good all-around team. Like they don't they're not like great in anything apparently other than maybe defense. But they do a good job in a lot of different areas. So maybe that's why they're here. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. 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 Hey, Kevin. Yes, sir. Hey. Howdy. Hey, the other night I was watching the Mets and uh, the Yankees, mm-hmm. and the Mets pitcher, that Swartzer, whatever his name is, he had a gizmo on the wrist of his glove, and their catcher had this, had enough, had one also, and he was like pushing a button in between pitches. Uh, you know anything about that? What, what yeah, is that it's a new like way of doing signals? things. I, you know, I don't really like it. I don't hate it like some people do. I just, I don't fully understand. Why, like, sometimes it seems to work, and then sometimes it doesn't, and some guys seem to adjust to it pretty quickly. Other guys have not adjusted to it. Some guys yeah. seem to have problems with it all the time. So I, I don't, I don't, I haven't fully yeah. wrapped and my then, mind well, around it. No. I was watching last night the uh, Angels and Rangers, and, and Otani, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a little gizmo on his wrist of his glove. <laughs> So I guess some teams do it, some yeah. teams don't. It, it, it's it's okay. strange. Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't I don't watch a lot of whole lot of baseball, but yeah, but that Otani man, I seen him jack one out last night. That's a really kind of the first time I ever seen him bat, you know. And wow, he's got some talent, he's something special. Yeah. Now let me ask you today: if you had to pick a winner on today's game, TCU and Oral Roberts, who would you pick? Kind of tell you, I'm just. I mean, it's kind of weird because I've been. I gross myself in all these numbers. I think I'm gonna pick Or Roberts. I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, well, I was just wondering. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. 
No, again, look, all these teams are capable of winning, so it's not like I'm going to be shocked if anybody wins. But, no, if you ask me to pick, I think I'll – I wouldn't – unless they just get shell-shocked of being at that stage, which could happen. It's happened to teams before. But you would think, again, Oral Roberts, yeah, they're a smaller school, but – They've been playing good baseball for decades, you know, and I know these guys have it. They're college kids. But it's as a program, playing at a, a pretty high level of baseball is not a new thing to them. So I, I don't know that they'll be totally shell-shocked. So I think I would kind of go with them. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The Little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Want to remind you, RP3 and company are headed to Omaha right now for the College World Series. Raymond will be broadcasting live from downtown Omaha on Monday morning. RP3 will recap LSU's first game in the College World Series. Obviously, preview game two on Monday. And, of course, take your phone calls. So tune in Monday morning. As RP3 and company will be broadcasting live from Omaha, Nebraska. Now, LSU is scheduled to play Saturday. I'm looking at Saturday's weather forecast for Omaha. Scattered thunderstorms, gusty winds, small hail is possible. Chance of rain, 60%. Anytime you see the little San Diego Chargers lightning bolt thing, that's not good. That's not good. I see the little lightning bolt, Charles. And then for the Saturday night, uh, chance of rain, 50%. I don't know. Thunderstorms. So my question is this. We all, um, I heard a lot of different opinions last weekend on the impact that the college coaches have on on weather decisions and whether to play the game or not. If some of that was true, or much of it was true, do we then believe that they have less of an impact, less of an input once they get to Omaha than they do at regionals and super regionals? I would guess, yes, a little bit less impact. Not their ballparks. I think a lot of the, again, the home 
the coaches that were at their own facilities who have their right much of their facility workers and things involved with the processes. I right, think, that's what I'm them. thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So I wonder, are they gonna like? Well, it's gonna rain an hour and a half from now, so we're not starting. Are they gonna do that? Use that same approach? Well, I in Omaha, I don't I would know how much. No. I don't know how much impact they'll have, but I know Jay Johnson will try um, because he was about as strong stanced on that as I've ever heard a coach about something weather related. So he will make it known that he doesn't think they should play if they don't think there's a window to get the whole game in. Now, whether will the College World Series officials agree with them? I, I think probably. Again, the reason that they have the advantage of being able to wait now too is this is this is a lot different than a regional. They have plenty of days to get these games in, and there's only ever going to be what two games, or is there at most three games on a day? Um, so you have time to make it up if you have to. But yeah, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll find out. What does ESPN think about all this, though? Well, and, and that might play into this because yeah, you're not you're no longer dealing with certain games being on you know streaming only, and certain games being on second or third. ESPN channels. You're now every game is pretty much on the, uh, the 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 linear network. So, yeah, maybe that changes things as well. Maybe they try harder to get it in at, at its scheduled time. I don't know. So I'm sure there'll be quite a bit of conversation about that on uh, social media things. Um, you know, I I I, my, I think they're going to have less input, but. Maybe they do at least consult with coaches and ADs. I don't. We'll, we'll see how it plays. The good news is it looks like tomorrow is a problematic day, but I don't see any other problematic days on the forecast. Now, I I would think that weather's a little more predictable in Omaha, Nebraska than it is in Lafayette or Baton Rouge or Miami where I was a couple weeks ago. No, I... I, uh, I I would think it's more predictable, so hopefully it kind of it, it kind of um, stays that way. So we will see. All right, when Jay called in the last segment, I uh, I said I think I've run across the coach. Like if there's a sliding scale, like most of us have heard of, you know. Frank Leahy, for instance. If you're a college football fan, most of us have like heard of him at least. If you're a big college football fan. He coached at Notre Dame. He won four national titles. He got burned out. He quit. Most of us have heard. We may not know anything about him, but we've heard of um, Bud Wilkinson. Like we we don't we may not know him. We've heard of him. Most of us have heard of like the guy, the famous names I said, like Pop Warner and Amos Alonzo Stagg and Walter Camp and all these old names. I don't know if very many of us have ever even heard of this guy, but his resume is pretty impressive based on what we say. The man's name is Howard Jones. Have you ever heard of Howard Jones, the college football coach? I mean, it it sounds like something I might have heard one day, but I I couldn't tell you who he coached for. Here's what impresses me about him. Howard Jones, he won 194 games in his career. He won national championships at Yale, where he played. He was a player at Yale, and then won a national championship, so say, at Yale. 
Now, I don't know if one of these are a Bear Bryant National Championships, which some Bear Bryant National Championships never really happened. They just kind of gave it to him like a participation trophy. Uh, I, I don't know enough about all this to know if any of these are Bear Bryant National Championships or not. But um, he won a national championship at Yale. Then he went to Iowa and won a national championship. Then he went to USC and won four. So the man won six national championships, according to what I'm reading. Again, I, I didn't investigate every one to see if any of them were Bear Bryant national championships. But um, still, at three different schools, at like three different levels. Now, I win USC at the same level, but in terms of if you're talking about you know, an Ivy League school, a Big Ten school, and then a whatever. It wasn't Pac-12 back then, whatever it was. I don't even know what what it was called. Because, he, I mean, this is a guy, he's coaching, like, this is a long time ago. This is 100 years ago, coaching in the 20s and the 30s. But again, you say, well, that's 100 years ago. Well, Pop Warner was even further back than that, but we've heard of him. Like, I don't know that there's very many college football fans that have ever even heard of this guy, Howard Jones. And according to his bio, he won six national championships. Wow. So just, I think that's the name in all of this that like, it'd be, that has probably done the most that I knew the, I don't know that I've ever heard of. Like if, if before I did this this week, someone said, who was Howard Jones? Wasn't there a singer called Howard Jones? Um, I maybe. I don't know that I I, I couldn't have said, but he was a football coach at USC. I, I I don't I couldn't have said that. There was a there's a British musician named Howard Jones. Yes, yeah. you're on it. In the eighties? Yes. Yes. He had one Man. really good song. Yeah. He had a few, it looks yeah. like. So I, if you'd have said who is Howard Jones, I said I'd have, I I'd have said I think he's a singer. There was a British musician, Howard Jones. There was also an American singer, Howard Jones. Yeah, that's who I'm thinking of, I think. Well, he was a metalcore vocalist. He's from the bands Kill Switch Engage and Blood Has Been Shed. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying, I'd have said he's a singer. If you'd have said, who is Howard Jones? I'd have said he's a singer. I would have said, that guy's one of the most successful college football coaches ever. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have said that. I'm telling you, I don't know. I wonder, like, if there's some, like, USC football lifelong fan and who has studied the history of his program, you might you might know him. But unless you're one of those people, I, I'm telling you, I think this guy's the most successful college football coach that none of us, most of us to none of us have never heard of before. Howard Jones. And he has, you know, a pretty common name. Howard Jones. That's pretty pretty common name. I mean, it's not like some of these other cats like uh, John Garadelli. I don't even know how to pronounce the cat's name. He won a lot of games too, by the way. And he also won four national titles. We'll take a timeout and be back. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All righty. I said in the first segment of this hour that I did something that I, I keep telling myself not to do. And yet I did it since yesterday's show. I watched the interview at OTA's or whatever they call the mini camp they're at, with Batman. And I just, like I said, it's not, it's not a healthy thing for me to do. He was very, he said he was very encouraged, if you didn't see it, at the organization, obviously the impact that having a veteran quarterback and how... He didn't go into great detail, but he, he he kept reiterating over and over again how impressed he was with the way the coaches are talking about handling him in terms of the relationship between his role and the preparation and practice going into that role. So, again, it's just talk. We understand that, you know, what happens in June doesn't really mean that much. But, I mean, something is, some progress is being made. Especially when you have a new quarterback. Like, new relationships are being built. And um, no, I'm not talking about off, well, off the field too. But more like on the field kind of relationships. The The thing that is probably the most interesting moving forward. And again, this is something I've been crying for for a while now. I I think there's this big perception out there that Casper utilized Batman better than the, than they utilized him last year. I, I I don't know that that's accurate. Okay, I I think I talk when Casper was there, I'd get frustrated with his utilization, and I got frustrated at times last year with how he was utilized. So I, I don't, I don't, I still don't think he's been utilized prop a hundred percent properly. I still don't think so by either one. But one of the things that he said in yesterday's interview was that he insinuated that they're going to throw to him more. Well, I've been crying for that for years. Like, throw him the ball. Like, I, I don't think he he throw. I don't think he runs enough on play calls. I'm not talking about running on a run play. I'm talking about backing up to pass and running. He doesn't do that nearly enough. That's the most difficult thing to defend is a quarterback 
that drops back to pass, especially a, a, a slash quarterback like Batman, he drops back to pass and he runs. I'm not talking about calling a running play. I'm talking about dropping back to pass and scrambling. Muy difícil. Unless you really are on some sort of blitz from the right side and all that. Um, and the other thing is that, that I don't I don't think they've utilized. He don't throw enough and he doesn't catch enough. I don't think he's ever done. And he doesn't run. He doesn't scramble enough. He made it sound like that's going to happen more. But the reason why he made it sound like it's going to happen more is that it, he insinuated that they're going to practice it more. He's going to be more prepared to catch run routes and catch passes. So we'll see. Again, it's just talk. It's just June practice. Not even in camp yet. I get that. (sighs) Man. Uh, It's just not healthy for me because I. He made the statement that this roster is as as capable of going a long way as any. And I agree. Of course, what he didn't say is. You got to play. Got to stay healthy. Guys have to play. Hopefully they do. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous for me to listen to that. I I, I can't handle it. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Foot. Why are you getting all upset over them things? You should be enjoying your... Yeah, hammock season, I, I, I'm I'm yeah. trying I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying but I have high hopes so you never know I know I know and, and you know we all know how it goes with got high hopes they always get that you know but uh, anyway that's not what I called in for uh, I called in for the uh, uh, your summer project or whatever you uh-huh. want yeah. uh, and, and I'm not going to bring up Nick Saban so you ain't got to worry about that one <laughs> that's good uh I don't know if you brought up this guy uh, before yet, but uh, what about Gary Patterson, uh, the head coach at TCU? He is on he the list. I do think he's a good coach. Um, he's got a hundred. He's got a lot of wins. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's got he's almost kinda... two hundred wins. Let me let me look him up as you're talking. But no, known as a pretty good defensive coach, and I, I think, and he has it like coached at like a mega powerhouse. Uh, and so, yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of respect for him. Right. You know, and he kind of set the foundation to where they are now, you know, because, I mean, I don't think they were even mentioned before he even got there, you know, and he really didn't get recognition for what he did now. Granted, he didn't win no national championships or anything, right. you know, but every when he was coaching at TCU, was still, you know, in the top 15 uh, every pretty much every season, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I, that's all I pretty much got. You know, I just uh, wanted to bring. Him no, up. That, that that's a good one. I looked him up. He's he's one hundred eighty one and seventy nine, eleven and six in bowl games. Like you say, he doesn't have a national title, but he's won. Uh, you know, six different conference championships and in, in, in three different conferences. I, I think I do think he's probably overall an underrated coach. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Have a good weekend. Please. You too. Thank you. Another one of these coaches, and it's amazing how many there are. Uh, and, and I, you know, I don't, I've never really studied this, but just running across it, a lot of coaches come from really small programs. Like he coached at UC Davis and Cal Lutheran and Pittsburgh State and Sonoma State. I mean, a lot of really good coaches began coaching at really small schools. Now, I mean, some guys 
coached at big programs from the beginning. But a lot of really successful coaches started their careers in really small programs and just kind of went up the the ladder. Um, I think there's a lot more of that than uh, than, than, than than some people realize. I uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, I no, do go have ahead. some good news for you. Okay, uh, it looks like it's playing tougher. I've been looking around at the, some of the scores and seeing some highlights here. Dustin Johnson just made a quadruple bogey. Oh, so uh, and he was at six under. Yeah. So, um, it, and there's been a lot of bogeys. Nobody's trying. Now, Wyndham Clark's played pretty well to start, and he's at seven under. He's only one back of those two leaders. But uh, everywhere else, a lot of bogeys, doubles, and, and more being made. So it's just the pin placements were that easy yesterday? I think it's part of it. To, it's a little windier today. Um, and, again, yeah, part of it, like those two par threes, they made them you know, much more accessible yesterday. Today, they're playing both over 290 yards. So it's like, I mean, you, you got guys hitting three wood and – Trying and then you'd have to try and stop. It's it's they did make it much more challenging. Yes. Okay. So I wonder if they had a pre-tournament plan. Well, they said they did. They admitted yesterday they planned for Thursday to be the most gettable day of the weekend. I just don't think they planned to, for it to be that gettable. And so I wonder if they tweaked it to make it even worse after yesterday's embarrassing day. Well, that's one thing that was discussed is like there's only so much they can do, right? Like, you you know, with, with how the, you know, you, the grass isn't going to grow overnight. There's not things you can do, but there are things going into the tournament that you know you're going to be able to adjust for, which is stuff like the pin placement and, you know, the, the tee box placement on certain holes and how much flexibility you have there. So, yeah, I'd imagine they got together last night and said, all right, we need to figure something out because we don't want our champion to be 15 under par. So... It looks so far, again, it's still very early in the day. Only a handful of guys are out on the course. But, uh, well, I guess now a, de- a decent amount of the morning wave is out there. But um, it's looking so far much tougher than it did yesterday. That's good. So a little rebound from the worst day in the history of the U.S. Open. <laughs> All right. Take a timeout. Be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. All right. Earlier in the show or in this hour, I gave you the name of the coach I think that has done the most of a coach that most of us to all of us were very unfamiliar with. Now I'm going to bring up a coach who mo- almost all of us who are college football fans know his name. But I don't know that a lot of us know a lot about him. So his name is very recognizable. But he might have been a much better coach, probably was, than we than many of us realize. The name is Robert Nealon. Obviously, if you're a Tennessee Volunteer fan, you probably know more than most of us about him. But his his career record was 173, 31, and 12. I haven't been doing it. I hate the whole ties thing. But he only had 31 losses, won four national championships. This is in like around the 40s. 
Um, I think he coached into the 50s. And more than that, known as, has a reputation of being like one of the great defensive minds and game innovators, like really did a lot of things in terms of how you communicate on the sidelines, but 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 really one of the known as one of the great defensive minds in college football history. So, I mean, any of us who have followed college football, especially SEC football, we certainly know the name Neelan because they named the feel after him. But I don't know that a lot of us realize that he was that good and influential as an actual on the field coach, which is you know obviously why they named the field after. But. Um, 173-31, that's pretty strong. Four national championships, pretty strong. And also, it sounds like he gets a lot of extra credit for being an innovator, like impact on the game. Sometimes we don't really include that when we rank coaches. I mean, I guess it's not, for some people, it's just about well, how many national championships you get. But the problem is in college, you know, like some of them are legit and some of them aren't. You know, that's just kind of because college football is has been flawed for probably ever. Um, and because in terms of the ranking, even if you get the system right, in my opinion, like you could argue, well, we got it right now. Well. That doesn't help the evaluation process because like I pointed out yesterday, a guy like Bobby Bowden, if he had this system, I think he'd have five or six national championships because many times he had the best team at the end of the year. He just happened to lose a game in August by one point because a kicker couldn't make a kick and so he didn't get a chance to win the national championship. Well, that's not fair in evaluating the coaches now who get to build up to something. Still got to win games. I get it. The pressure is there. But um, you get to build up to something. You know, you, you get a lot more mulligans now than, 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 than a lot of the coaches did back then. So it was kind of a two-edged sword. Yeah, you didn't have to have to win it on the field. It was quote-unquote mythical. But because you have the opportunity to win on the field, a lot of times you get one or two more mulligans that those coaches back then didn't get. Many of them did not get. So, now, you know, I guess there was a few years there where, like, there were no undefeated teams among major schools, and that's why, I mean, the Power Five schools, and that's why, you know, in 84, a BYU won a national championship beating a 6-5 and five team in a bowl game just because the system was allowed for that to happen. But um, And every once in a while you get aware, you know, the two champions had one loss or, or something like that. But for the, for the most part, a lot of them, they didn't get mulligan opportunities like a coach, you know, especially if you're coaching at like Alabama or someplace like that where you can lose a game. Oh, and, you know, for years, oh, oh you're done. Well, you're not done anymore because there's still some um, dog and pony show involved in all that. So it's... um. It makes it makes ranking it very difficult. But no, I, I obviously I've heard of Robert Nealon my whole life, pretty much. But that doesn't mean I really knew much about him. And you read about him a little bit, and you look at his career record, and you're like, hmm, this guy might be, probably is, in terms of titles, record, 
influence, impact, innovation, all of that, like one of the best 10 coaches of all time. And again, when the week started, I don't know if I'd have put, I don't know if I'd have had that. I don't know how I had it. I don't think I would have had him in there. So, again, part of the reason why we do this stuff is to have another talking point. But another reason why I do this stuff over the years is to educate us about sometimes we 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 know certain things and, and we don't even think about you know, branching out and learning about this coach or this program or that and 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 have any kind of historical perspective on it. So that I thought um, I enjoyed learning about some of these coaches. All right. Major League, we, obviously the big thing going around here or for the fans and listeners here uh, is the College World Series and look forward to seeing how all these teams are going to pan out and match up and Especially if LSU does play Wake, I mean that's going to be you want. I mean a blockbuster game if it works out that way in the winners bracket. Like it won't be as blockbuster if they both lose, but um, but there are also also some games going on in Major League Baseball, and Dawson's little MVPs are going to Kansas City. I mean, could be three W's there. Who knows? Again, I think I do need to clarify every once in a while that I'm not actually a fan of the Angels. <laughs> I just want to see Mike them to win. and Tani play big games. Yeah. I don't I don't pull for them to win all the time. Like there's certain like again, I mean it was it was very helpful that they beat Texas a couple of times this week. So hey, it worked out in a variety of ways. I now it's getting to the point though. They're winning enough to where they're now threatening the Astros and that's a little bit different. You know what I mean? I get it. The Mets are playing the Cardinals. Couple of disappointing teams. Two there. teams that are really reeling right now. So somebody's got to win. So again, it's not who you play; it's when you play them. So like a lot of times, you get no reprieve. Well, here one of these two teams is getting reprieve now. As an Astro fan, I hope the Mets sweep the Cardinals because I want them to get all the little some little wins out of their system because the Astros have to play the Mets next week. Uh, you know that 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 the Rangers host the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays are a tricky team. There at times they're really good, but overall they haven't really performed all that well. Another series this weekend that's very interesting to me: the Rays are at the Padres. Obviously, a lot of people pick the Padres to go to the World Series. Not too many people pick the Rays to go to the World Series. The Padres have had a very disappointing season so far. They're due to win as well. So that's another series to keep an eye on this week. And all right, we had lots of fun this week. We'll see what happens in Omaha. Hopefully they play all the games. Y'all have a nice weekend.